Together we turn now in the word of God to Luke 24 again, picking up where we just left off in verse 13. Hear now the word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening. And the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. I want to remind you today and myself of the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the message, the proclamation of good news 
What type of good news? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The gospel is good news for sinners. And that's what we have here. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. It's good news today for those who are weary and discouraged, perhaps cynical and without hope. That's what was happening here with these two people on the road to Emmaus. Their entire world has been shattered. They've been robbed of hope. They're in total despair. And Jesus is telling them and us today that the source of their hopelessness, their their lack of joy, is because they did not understand and believe the Scriptures. Why Emmaus Road? Why this name for us as a church? You might be here visiting today for the first time. Maybe you've been here a few months, maybe a number of years. Today in Luke 24, we see why. Because we want together to experience and trust by faith in the risen Jesus. We want together to worship the one true triune God. We want this church and our lives together as the family of God to be rooted and grounded in Christ as we read the Bible together, as we live life together. We want to grow more into the image of Christ together. We want to encourage each other by pointing each other to the risen Jesus together. And today we hope and pray God will meet with us here by his Spirit as he did on the road to Emmaus so long ago. That he will bring any who are in despair to hope and faith and trust in the Lord. We look, we look first then at the despair of these disciples. In Luke 24, the women on the first day of the week, Resurrection Day Sunday, arrive at the tomb. They were not there to expect a resurrection. They were there to anoint a body that was dead. Jesus himself was really dead. His body was a corpse His heart had stopped. The blood stopped flowing. And the cross had blasted away their hopes. As they get there, kids, they're wondering, how are we going to get this stone away from the entrance? And they arrive and they see that the stone was out of the entrance. And they look in and who did they see? Well, who didn't they see? They didn't see the dead body of Jesus. They saw two angels. The angel said, what an interesting question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Loved ones, they weren't looking for the living. They were in a cemetery. They were there to anoint a body. The angel said to them, he's risen, just like he told you. He has said this would happen, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise on the third day. The women go right away, they tell the disciples. The disciples at first don't believe it. Peter and John go to the tomb and they see, actually, this is true. The tomb is empty. And now, later on that resurrection day, probably in the afternoon, 
the scene shifts. Luke has still not given us firsthand any sort of appearance of the risen Jesus. And we have two disciples, not from among the twelve, and they're walking from Jerusalem about a seven-mile walk to a no-name place called Emmaus. As they're walking, they're talking about the events of that day, of that week. What has happened, they're saying. It was a week ago when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the king in the highest. And now a week later, he's dead, or so they thought. They're trying to make sense of life. And then suddenly, as they're on this road, footsteps from behind. They are joined in their conversation by, at this point, to them, a complete stranger. Jesus is walking with them, but they don't know that it's him. It doesn't say that they didn't recognize him. Do you see that in verse 16? It says they were kept from recognizing him. Something's going on here that is beyond a human explanation. Jesus speaks to them. He asks a question. What's the topic of the day? What are people discussing? You maybe asked people that this morning on your way in. What are people talking about today? They're talking about the weather. It's cold. It feels like Christmas. They're talking about the war in Ukraine. They're talking about the economy. They're talking and thinking about their own afflictions. These disciples hear the question asked by Jesus, and it says, they look sad. They're gloomy. They are experiencing what you have experienced after the death of a loved one, and after the funeral is over, and you're heading home, And in the hours and the days, the weeks, the months, even the years after the funeral, there's a heaviness, there's a sadness. One of them answers Jesus. And now we learn in verse 18 the name of at least one of them. See that, kids? Cleopas. It's possible that this is Jesus' uncle. We don't know that for sure. But it could be his uncle, and that means his wife was Mary, who was there when Jesus died on the cross. And it could be that this is Cleopas and his wife on this road. We're not sure of the second, and we don't know all these things, but we know this guy's name is Cleopas. And his tone could be a bit sarcastic. It's definitely negative. He's saying, we're talking about what everyone's talking about. How could you not know these things? This is what is going on in the city. There was a man that we thought was our prophet, And he died on a cross. And he said a bunch of stuff on the cross. These words, and some people heard him. In the Gospels, loved ones, we are dealing with history, not invention. This really happened. What things, Jesus says. Isn't that interesting how he asked that? As Phil Riken says, this is a reminder that when we talk to people, it's good to ask questions. It's good to listen to their story, to hear them, 
to draw them out, to love them as one made in God's image, to honor them. But Cleopas and whoever is with him are convinced. Whoever this guy that has joined them is, he's completely out of it. How, how could he not know what's going on? So they specify things that happen not just to Jesus, because there were many people named Jesus in the first century, but to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is talking to them, asking them what they are talking about, and they're talking about him. But they don't know that he is him. Now, we see that they had a misplaced hope. We had hoped, they said, he would redeem Israel. Redemption for them in their minds did not involve death. It didn't involve suffering. It was this worldly. It was get rid of the Romans, establish peace in our land, rebuild the temple, and then we got it. That's redemption for Israel. They have no idea of a cross and a suffering Savior. They said we had hoped that God would do something. And maybe after day one, still, God might do something. Maybe after day two, God would intervene. But now it's day three. All our hope is gone. The covenant is in ruins. And as Michael Horton says, perhaps Psalm 74 is in their minds. A psalm speaking of the Babylonians who sacked Jerusalem, the temple destroyed, prophets are gone. And the psalmist in Psalm 74 says, God, why do you have your hands in your pockets? Why don't you come down and do something? Everything had gone wrong. As the song says, in the spotlight, they were losing their religion. They probably wondered if they should even believe in God anymore. And do you notice what they did not expect? They did not expect a resurrection. That's another testimony from Luke that this is authentic. Can you imagine early Christians making up a gospel and not expecting a resurrection and making themselves look so foolish? Nobody would make that up. It's there because it's true. But then, there's a tiny glimmer of hope. We've heard a report from some women. They went to the tomb. They said the tomb is empty. But these guys are so in despair that everything they hear is bad news. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. For them, an empty tomb is not good. It's just another reason that things are dark and bad. In your journey, loved ones, maybe you've been bouncing around life. Maybe you've been trying to find some central meaning and purpose to existence. Maybe you've been searching for contentment. You thought maybe after high school, I'll graduate, I'll go to college, then things will be great. Then I'll graduate from college, it's going to be after then, then I'll be content when I get a job and when I make some money. 
Maybe it'll be when I meet that girl and get married. Then things will settle down then. Then I'll be happy. If only I could have kids. If only the kids would go off to school so I could have some peace. If only the kids could move out of the house so I could take a vacation and save some money. We bounce from one thing to the next, from one stage of life to the next, searching for contentment. We're restless until we rest in Jesus. The lights have gone out. And the question is, what will Jesus do with them? Will he reject them? We see, secondly, the hope of the resurrection. Remember at this point, loved ones, that Cleopas and the other disciple still don't know that it's Jesus that is with them on the road. And Jesus comes and he rebukes them in love, not in wrath, in gentleness. And he doesn't fault them for not believing in him. He doesn't fault them for a lack of knowledge in the recent events that have happened. What does he say? You are foolish because you have failed to believe all that the prophets have written. They would claim to believe the prophets, the Old Testament, but they had read the prophets selectively. They had looked at the parts of the prophets that talk about a reigning Messiah, about victory and glory. But they missed entirely the parts that talk about suffering and pain and sorrow and death. They forgot what Jesus had said in Luke 18. He must suffer, he must die, and then he will be raised. It's crucifixion, then resurrection, then judgment. They forgot, and we can forget this easily ourselves, that what they needed most was forgiveness of sins, not for God to come and judge the wicked nations. Because if they got the judgment of the wicked nations, they would be judged along with them. They didn't get that. They had a theology of glory and power now instead of a cross and suffering now. Suffering and death was not an obstacle for Jesus as the Messiah. It had to happen. And then Jesus does something remarkable. He interprets the scriptures with himself at the center. What is the Bible about, kids? The Bible is about Jesus. What's the message of Scripture, the plot line? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. What's going on in these 66 books with 40 writers, over 2,000 years of human history with one divine author? God's plan to save a sinful people for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation through Jesus. They miss that. And Jesus himself, in what may have gone on for an hour or two, it's a seven-mile walk, does a Bible study. The Word of God incarnate explains the Word of God. 
Can you imagine being there? It kept going, and they kept hearing. And Jesus is opening up the scriptures to them. They needed good news. They needed to be refreshed. They needed to be reminded how to read the Bible. And they needed to be told who Jesus is. And loved ones, so do we. Today and throughout the year. That's why we come to worship. That's why we come to study the Bible. We need to see Jesus. And so from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, Jesus opens up the word of God. As you listen to sermons, loved ones, and maybe you've only heard a few sermons in your life, maybe you've heard many, this is helping us. One thing to ask is, did Jesus have to die for that sermon to be preached? If the answer is no, then that sermon could have been preached in a Muslim mosque or a Jewish synagogue. If the answer is no, then it's not a Christian sermon. This is reminding us that going back to the Old Testament, it's about Christ. Can you imagine? Genesis itself. He opens up Genesis. And he tells them that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Is that what he said? Or what did he talk about? Probably something in regard to pointing to him. Jesus is that son of the woman who was bruised on the cross but crushed Satan's head. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, whose obedience is imputed to us. Maybe they turn to Exodus. They see that in the book of Exodus, the people of God are delivered from death through the offering of a Passover lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for our sins. Maybe he talked to them about the law of God in Exodus. How the law demands a perfect righteousness. We can't achieve it. For us to be saved, someone has to come and keep that law in our place. Jesus is that law keeper, the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between a sinful people and a holy God, who reconciles us to a holy God through the blood of a new covenant. Leviticus, atonement must be made through the offering of sacrificial blood. The awfulness of sin, the justice of God, the holiness of God. But in God's love, he provides a substitute. Christ is that substitute. He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the blood on the mercy seat. He is the light of the golden lampstand. He is the bread of life. In Numbers, the Bible speaks of the bronze serpent, and whoever looks to the serpent will be saved. Jesus, John 3, was lifted up for our salvation. We could go on and on. That's just the law. The prophets spoke of his sufferings, that he is the man of sorrows of Isaiah 53. The Psalms spoke of it. Psalm 22, he was despised and forsaken. But that's just the suffering part. Jesus also said 
as Phil Riken says, it was necessary for Christ to enter into his glory. So he preached the cross from the Old Testament. He preached the resurrection from the Old Testament. Psalm 16, the Holy One of God will not undergo decay. Jonah, remember him, kids? As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. Matthew 12. Why is this important? Because Jesus is not just here or there in the Old Testament. He is everywhere in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not just background for the New Testament. It contains the message of the gospel. Christ at the center. And as they are hearing this, the icy grip on their hearts begins to thaw. Melting as the sun is supposed to melt the ice, even though it's not happening right now. Ice is still forming some of these mornings. The scriptures become alive to them like they never have before. And I hope and pray the Bible will become alive to you. We cannot be comforted by that which we do not know. And Jesus is saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you and I pray you will see me. Behold me. Enjoy me. Trust me. Commune with me. Worship me. Be comforted by me. Jesus would have gone on. He would have kept walking, it says. But they invited him to stay. They urged him. This is Middle Eastern hospitality. And it's late at night. There's robbers on the road. There's wild animals about. So he decides to stay. It's late. They've been walking for seven miles. They're hungry. So they eat a dinner. They eat a meal. And they invite Jesus, who still is unrecognized by them, to be the host of the meal. And Jesus does what he's done throughout the Gospels. He sits down and has a meal with sinners. This is the eighth meal in the Gospel of Luke. Eight being the reminder of something new, a new creation. Just like the feeding of the 5,000, he takes the bread, he breaks it. Pointing to the Lord's Supper, although there's no wine here. This would remind us of that, that Jesus is communing with his people. And as he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. You wonder, did they see the nails on his hand? The power of the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. Someone can hear about an empty tomb, know about proofs for the resurrection, but until God opens their eyes, they will not believe. And then, just as they realize who is with them, Jesus vanished. Jesus has a glorified, resurrected body, He's not a different sort of creature. It's different than his body before the resurrection, but not entirely different. We can't comprehend this. He ate fish. He ate a meal. He was sitting down with them. They could touch him. 
But then he's in another place at another time. After he vanishes, Cleopas and his companion ask each other, did not your heart burn within you when he was talking to you? Loved ones, this is not a subjective Mormonism burning in the bosom. This is the Holy Spirit applying the objective word of God to the hearts of God's people. Has your heart stirred within you as you've read the word? Has your heart been warmed as the Spirit has illumined the word of God to you as you think, I didn't see that before. I am seeing a new depth to my sin and a new dimension of love and grace in my Savior that I haven't seen before. My heart was hard. It was cold. But God warmed it by giving me, again, a refreshing reminder of Christ and him crucified, of Christ and him risen, of Christ and him reigning, of Christ and him interceding for me, for a sinner like me. They're so filled with joy, they go right away. They don't wait. They go back on the road, seven miles, this time from Emmaus, back to Jerusalem. How quickly the feet of those who preach good news moving on that road. They were on the road before in despair. Now, backwards, it's from despair to hope. And they return, and the eleven are there, minus Thomas. And as they're about ready to share the news, you can imagine, the doors open, and they hear themselves already. We've heard the same thing. The Lord has appeared to Peter. None of the Gospels mention that, by the way. Paul mentions Jesus appearing to Peter in 1 Corinthians 15. Peter, the one who denied him. Peter, who was filled with shame and grief and guilt, Christ came to him in mercy. He restored him in grace. He poured out his love upon Peter. And how much like Peter we are. The truth was, there were reports of the resurrection coming in throughout that day. Not only Peter, but the women. And not only the women, but later on the next week and over the next 40 days, The risen Christ will appear to over 500 people. And yet, loved ones, it's not only the appearances of the risen Christ, but it's that the earliest Christians came to believe against all odds and expectations that Jesus was raised from the dead that is proving the truthfulness of Christianity. Michael Kruger says this, There were other so-called messiahs who were crucified by the Romans in the first and second century. They called themselves a messiah. But what happened to their followers after they died, after they were crucified? They stopped following them. They were done. What would have happened if Jesus himself had not risen from the dead? Christianity would have just dissolved. It wouldn't have continued. But because he did rise from the dead, it exploded. These same disciples who were in fear 
themselves of dying as Jesus died, went forth with boldness to suffer and to die for a resurrected Savior. They never would have done that if Jesus had not risen from the dead. There is no Christianity if Jesus has not risen from the dead. We are fools and most to be pitied if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But the fact is he did rise. Our faith is not in vain. The gospel is good news. And there are major implications for how we live our lives. The church that was in denial, that was confused, that night was gathered together. Do you see that? So are we, gathered by the risen Christ, by his word and spirit, gathered with great hope because our Savior's alive. In the resurrection of Jesus, God vindicates the person of Jesus. That means for you, Romans 1, the gospel of God concerning his son, who has descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Loved ones, in the resurrection, the Holy Spirit vindicated Christ. The Jews and the Romans judged him to be wrong. Our sin was laid upon him on that cross. And the Jews of his day thought the Messiah is not supposed to die. He made himself equal with God. He died the death of a criminal on a cursed cross. He got what he deserves. But when the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty and he is raised, that mean, it means everything he said about himself is true. The grave couldn't hold him down. The resurrection of Jesus signals that he is God. Not only does the road to Emmaus help us in how to read the Bible, it reminds us who Jesus is. He is the God-man. His resurrection confirms his victory over sin and death and Satan and hell. It means every word he said is true. It tells you the gospel is trustworthy. It tells you God has accepted his sacrifice and death for your sins. It guarantees that what he accomplished in his life and death is valid. It's the foundation of spiritual blessings untold. The resurrection of Jesus is the fountain of the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to you. And the gift of faith and repentance to trust him and turn from your sin. And if you don't trust in Jesus today, I pray that the resurrection of Christ and the hope of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. That you will see his beauty, his power, his glory, and his love for sinners like us. The resurrection is the ground of your assurance. If you're struggling with doubt today, it reminds you God loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Your sins are forgiven. You are righteous by faith in Christ. 
The resurrection is the source of your joy. The foundation of the mission of the church. And when Jesus was raised, it wasn't just for himself, but for all who believe in him. It's the reversal of death. That's what resurrection is. When he walked out of the tomb, he left behind death once and for all, for all who trust him. His resurrection is the beginning of the new creation. It inaugurates a new era of history. All of creation one day will be made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And your body and mine, which suffer with sickness and sin and pain and affliction, will be raised from the dead, patterned after Christ's resurrected body. Christ the firstfruits. All those who are in him to follow. Kids like a train that pulls into the station. And what comes behind the train? The boxcars and the oil cars. And finally, the caboose. All who are in Christ will be raised. Loved ones, the question is, do you believe this? Where are you today with the Lord? You may doubt. You may think life is all about me. You may think life is a death march with no hope. But Jesus says, the gospel of John is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, eternal life, in his name. Do you trust him by faith? Even if life is grim, even, as Jesus said to Martha, if your brother Lazarus will die, do you trust me? Yes, Martha said, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I love you. No matter what happens, Martha, yes, no matter what happens. Even unto death, Martha, yes, Lord, even unto death. For you, Lord Jesus, are the resurrection and the life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who loved us, who gave himself for us, who lives for you, who prays for you, and who is calling sinners into his kingdom today. The resurrection is not just a footnote in history. It reminds us that Jesus is alive and reigning and one day returning in glory. Let those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus brought these disciples from grief to hope, coming to them on the Emmaus Road, reminding them, as he does us today, that the resurrection from the dead is the foundation of our hope, that the gospel is a summons to glory, 
that we hear today you speaking to us in your word, O God, and we pray for your spirit. Open our eyes to behold and believe and trust in Jesus. Now by faith, but one day face to face, that sight of God in his glory that we long to see. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.